0: So I feel like of all the ways that Star Trek Voyager could have resolved this two-parter, it kind of did it in the most obvious and least interesting way possible.
1: This is exactly kind of what I figured it would be. A bunch of all of the different things they've set up. Go crazy. There's a volcano. There's a monster. There are space battles and all stuff goes pew pew things blow up and everything's safe yeah that's kind of i mean it seemed like the kind so was this was this episode written by michael Pillar, or was did he just write the first part
0: it was written by michael Piller. okay so but it feels
1: but it- this episode feels like they are very obviously changing guard in that for example seska's dead Suitor's dead. Two of the most interesting characters who had a lot of dramatic potential are dead and out of the show because we want to move on from those plot points. We're probably I would be very surprised if we saw the K's on again at this point. It seemed like they're just kind of done with them, like
0: Yeah, so and 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 your instincts there are spot on. And I think that one of the things that I'm finding very interesting about your your theorizing about Voyager is that most of the time it's right huh. and and it it wasn't the case that your theorizing was usually right in d s nine yeah and, and
1: I found myself very I, surprised every time in a good way yeah right and
0: and i've been i've been struggling with with voyager because i i think that in a lot of ways, it is the show that you pretty much think it is, and, and that is not necessarily a bad thing, and I certainly am trying to approach the show on its own merits, but I, I think that there was, I don't know, this week was tough because mm. fundamentally, like first of all, we took a week off because I went away last weekend, and we usually record on the weekend, so I had some time to like process and think about Voyager more than I would have otherwise. And so I come back after this trip and I'm watching Basics Part Two and I'm watching Flashback and I'm just struck with a feeling of of
1: this is what it. is
0: this show doing? Hmm. Like I I fundamentally do not understand why this show exists. It's competently done, it's entertaining. I think that sometimes the episodes are quite good. And I certainly don't want to keep comparing it to Deep Space Nine because I I don't necessarily think that that's a good critical approach. But I do have to say that the the third season of Deep Space Nine and Mm -hmm. the third season of Star Trek Voyager were in very similar places, right? Like if you think about it in terms of Michael Piller show ran the first two seasons of Star Trek Voyager. He show ran the first two seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was stepping aside iris Steve bear stepped up in the third season of ds9 and took that show over and ran with it for five years and jerry taylor is now being elevated to showrunner she doesn't stick with voyager nearly that long only two years but in a sense it's kind of strange because look at what was going on in ds9 we had the jem hadar the season two finale that was the introduction of a major plot point a major villain a major antagonist in the show the the third season came out and we had Uh, the search parts one and two where we discovered that, that Odo was part of the, the, the changelings and the dominion and all of these things, you know, the episode, it, it felt like a vital show. It felt like a show that, that was getting its feet under it and had ideas about where it wanted to go and what it wanted to say about Star Trek and basics part two and flashback are extremely perfunctory episodes that are not very entertaining are internally inconsistent with themselves and what has come before Mm -hmm. on this show. And especially with Basics Part 2, you're right, like, Jerry Taylor didn't like the Kazon, didn't like Suter, didn't like Seska. They're all gone. We never see them again. So why did we spend all that time with it? What did we learn about our characters? And I feel like I just ranted at you for three minutes, but that's where I'm at. But,
1: I mean, I I think this actually explains it perfectly with the ending of season two of ds9 the beginning of season three they are opening up the world they are adding characters and major factions which would come to define the rest of the season they are uh a voyager is closing off characters and entire species and entire regions i mean at the at the end of season two okay there's a couple of different they they they've They've pissed away all of their arcs, right? They, they don't care about the Caretaker arc anymore. They don't care about the Kazon. I mean, they're, they're going to have to pull the Borg out of the TNG continuity in order to get an identity at this point because what are they really dealing with? They're still just heading for home. I mean, I think in terms of potential for their premises, uh, both DS9 and Voyager have a lot they they're both very rich premises it's just ds9 was more capable of what does this mean what does this mean for the federation what does this mean for these characters what does this mean for the galaxy what does this mean for their quadrant what is this you know this concept of this wormhole is going to change everything and DS9 sees through so many of its ramifications. Uh Voyager, everything is changed by them being in this completely different quadrant of the galaxy. They are in a new frontier and I mean I'm we're going to talk about this in flashbacks, but they don't like their premises. They don't like to they obviously Jerry Taylor doesn't want to deal with the overarching government of the Delta quadrant. I mean at least imagine if this had been in a, been a show created by a showrunner who was interested in the different Kazon factions and had them split up around the entire Delta Quadrant so that they were the primary antagonist and where that would be. We would have more Majes to deal with, for example. I mean, there is a very rich possibility, even just in the Kazon, that they don't really deal with.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, it sounds really churlish, and I'm trying to be— I'm trying to be fair to the creative staff of Star Trek Voyager, but I hate to say it, but... But, but
1: you have to be fair to the staff of Voyager.
0: Right, like, this is kind of the farm team of Star Trek. Like, I don't... I think about who was writing on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you've got people like Ira Stephen Bear, you've got uh, 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 Hans Bemler, you've got uh, uh, Wolf, you've got Ron Moore, for fuck's sake. Like, hmm. you've got a lot of really strong writers that loved Star Trek, maybe not all of them, maybe not all in the same way. I mean, we know, for example, that Ron Moore was a longtime Star Trek fan, had things to say about Star Trek that they wanted to say, but were also really interested in fleshing out this world. And I mean, we'll compare, I mean, I hate to say it, but we'll definitely compare Trials and Tribulations yeah. to, to Flashback because I think the two you episodes to. are... Are, yeah, we have to. And they're extremely interesting for the the meta commentary on how these shows are put together. But, I mean, fundamentally speaking, I, I, Brandon Braga is a good writer of a certain type of plot. I don't think he has a lot of other strengths, frankly. <laughs> and Flashback is a perfect example of that. And and I also don't think that Jerry Taylor brings much to Star Trek, frankly. And, you know, I, I hate to say that, but but I look at the episodes that are coming up and I'm kind of just astonished at she got the chance to put her mark. I mean, well, let's be clear, let, let like, me, she, she show ran the seventh season of Star Trek The Next Generation and that was one of the weakest of the show's run. I was about to say,
1: refresh me on who she is. So she show ran the last season... Oh, God, so we're going to have uh, evolutions-level, masks-level stuff then.
0: Yeah, like, I think her... her And I don't want to place all the blame of the seventh season of, of TNG on her, no. because, of course, you only get what the scripts you get, especially if you have writers that have been working on a show for years. Yeah, but, everyone's
1: tired at that, that point.
0: And, I mean, Jerry Taylor most famously wrote The Drumhead, so, so hmm. she does uh, a good work. But I don't think that her strengths lie in showrunning. And Voyager, to me seems like a show where people became showrunner because there was no one else available to do it and i'm i'm not optimistic about the quality of the show like it's very uneven
1: yeah flashbacks in particular feels like they squandered a lot and so far again this seems like a show with a lot of potential and i'm really waiting for it i i and it's just hasn't, it's had moments. Again, the fact that there are episodes where things are firing on all cylinders and the fact that I can't exactly remember any at the mo- at the moment is is probably <laughs> indicative of that. But there are moments when, again, I do like a lot of these characters. I like the Doctor. I like Janeway. I don't even mind hanging out with Chakotay and Tuvok. Uh, Neelix I like. You know, things like that, they have moments when the characters are working but i i think that's perfectly it the show doesn't know what it's saying the show doesn't really want t- The show is having a hard time grappling again with what does it mean that they are in the delta quadrant and they wh- where, where has the talk of the generation ship gone for example i think that's one of the most fascinating concepts the show has dealt with like we really need to deal with the fact that this might be seventy-five years until we get there. We need to put a long-term infrastructure in place. And yes, they are busy dealing with okay, we're out alone, we can't get repairs. You know, if we're dead, we're dead, and we have all this Kazon stuff. But again, it feels like a refusal to deal with the actual interesting stuff to me.
0: Yeah, and and I think you see that very clearly in Basics Part yeah. Two, like on a fundamental level is this a satisfying ending to the Kazon saga? And and I would say no. Yeah. Now, I, I pose that question to you. But but I
1: mean, w- I guess at the heart of it is the fact that the baby isn't Chakotay's son after all. And then so my entire thing is, what the fuck was the point of that?
0: <laughs> right. I, 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 well, I think, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that Seska thought that the baby was, Chippen's. yeah, no, but, but, I, but I, at I just the same mean, time... I just
1: mean from like a storytelling perspective, like why the hell did we go through this journey of who's the baby's father, and you know, was it really? Why did we deal with that?
0: I I don't know, I, and I, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, again, they're not
0: that. Well, that's that's what it really comes down to is like Voyager didn't have the follow through of its convictions, right? Yeah. Like. And, and I think that part of that is the fact that I, I don't know if they knew what they were doing. I mean, I think Michael Piller had very particular interests about Star Trek Voyager and was molding it into a very particular type of Star Trek show that was fairly similar to what type of Star Trek show The Next Generation was, which I think makes sense. I think if you look at the first two seasons of DS9 as well, I think you see the fingerprints of Michael Piller all over it. I also think you see the work of Iris Stephen Bear on it in terms of, like, the the circle arc that opened the second season. Um, And I think it may have been the right decision for Michael Pillar to step back from the show. But he had said all he wanted to say about Star Trek, and at a certain point you're getting more and more diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so far, I'm not very optimistic about what Jerry Taylor wants to tell me or show me with Star Trek. It doesn't seem like she has any clear ideas about what she wants to do with this at all. I mean, I, I, I got to
1: be honest. I thought that the baby was going to end up on Voyager. I thought it was going to be that, – that Seska got killed didn't completely shock me. But again, I thought the baby was Chakotay's and it would have ended up with him. And now we've got two babies. And again, I'm interested in the generation ship thing. Now we've got two babies on the ship. This isn't just – you know, okay. Well, Ensign, you have to deal with this on your own. With you know, our help, this is now we. Ha- this is now part of the community. This is two babies. This is you know, we'll have a third soon.
0: Yeah, and I I agree with that, and I I mean I don't want to move aside from the baby, uh, 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 you know, completely. Yeah. But I, I think that I want to talk about Suitor because hmm. to me, Suitor is one of the most interesting characters that the show has done. And I mean, a lot of that of course has to do with the performance of Brad Dourif. He's a fantastic actor who brings a lot to any role he's in, but,
1: and he's never really like done a series or anything like that. Right. Like he kind of just does.
0: I I don't think one offs and gets, so that
1: it might even be part of, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll do a few episodes with the character, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to be, that could even be a factor here.
0: But I, I, you know, Jerry Taylor was on the record as saying that she killed, she wanted, she told Michael Pillar to kill Suter. I mean, she mm-hmm. was running the show at this point that, uh, you know, she wanted to kill Suter because they were going into, you know, the weird thing is like this was also filmed like as part of the second season. So like Michael Pillar was still ostensibly mm-hmm. in charge, but he was doing a lot of stuff because Jerry Taylor wanted to set up yeah. things for the third season and get rid of things she wasn't interested in pursuing. And and part of, you know, and I think too part of my, uh, frustration with this is that I know what Jerry Taylor does in the third season. And frankly, it's not great. It's not worth Suter's So life. and Right. Like, she said, she went on the record as saying that she wanted to get rid of Suter because she didn't know what to do with him. And I'm like, you don't know what to do with a character like that? I mean, she said, well, he's locked up in a room and how is he going to interact with uh, the other characters, right? And it's like, w- what are you talking about? Like, You could do so much with this character if you had like, any sort of creative... I mean... Uh, ...drive, and... Put him... I mean, t- he,
1: in Suter's first episode, he and tu- he and uh, Tim Russ work really well against each other. Just put Tuvok and Suter in a room and have them act. That's what you do with Suter. Suter is the person that you go to when you need to... T- I mean, I... I- I think it would be interesting to get Souter eventually be taking the counselor role that needs to be taken. He's a Betazoid. Betazoids make great counselors. He's troubled and using – it. like it, if you give me this character, that's what I would have turned him into. That's a perfect thing to do with him. Good.
0: Right. And, and, and Jerry Taylor doesn't know what to do with him and so tells Michael Pillar to kill yeah. him. And – I, I'm I'm just agog at that decision. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not as much of a fan of Seska as you are. I think it was probably time for Seska to go. Yeah, I don't know if she necessarily needed to die, but I think she served her purpose. But Souter to me is is the clearest indication that that Jerry Taylor and the writing staff of Star Trek Voyager were were sort of creatively bankrupt yeah. because. I'm frankly astonished that they wanted to get rid of a character like that. I mean, there are so many areas, like you just said, that you could take him in. And, you know, I mean, okay, sure, it's your show. Do what you want with it. But it's it's just a very, very telling example of the type of thing that they're interested in doing, which is frankly not very ambitious.
1: You said that one of the reasons for Voyager to exist was to be... Star Trek being an action adventure show, and as an action adventure episode, Basics Part 2 was a fine action adventure episode. I, it was exciting. You know, it, it, it's the television equivalent of it's got a good beat and I can dance to it. Um, I don't think the show is – the show doesn't consistently have a good beat that I can dance to. And that's, I guess, guess, one of the big problems. It would be fine if the show were less ambition if it was hitting its mark more often.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. It is a very frustratingly inconsistent show. And, you know, I enjoyed the second season a lot more than I thought I would. I I think there are some really strong episodes in there. And I don't think that Voyager is – you're talking about a baseline level of competence that Star Trek just has now. It It's rarely boring. Yeah. And I think that there were just a couple of really terrible episodes in the second season that were just misfires from moment one. And they had nothing to, they had absolutely nothing, no idea what to do about it. And they were just boring. Uh, But, like, why didn't Jerry Taylor want to write the opening episode of the season? Like, I just keep coming back to this idea that she's not very interested in doing this job. Like, you know, and and like, whatever. Fine. Don't then. But don't agree to take the job. And your creative decisions are worrying me. You don't seem to really have a strong sense of what you want to do. And this could have been... You know, the the end of the second season and the beginning of the third, there could have been so many other ways that they could have wrapped up this Kazon stuff. Mm. And to have the Kazon take over the ship because the plot demands it of them, frankly, why didn't they do it 10 episodes ago, 15 episodes ago? It seemed very easy for them to do. So I don't know why they just didn't do it in, like, episode four of season two as opposed to this season finale, although I think I just answered my own question. And then they drop them on this planet that is obviously horrible. Uh, comically horrible. Even. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, we have Tom Paris in, in a completely different episode of the show, who's off talking to this commander Paxum of the Talaxian honor guard or whatever the fuck he is. And he manages to take Voyager over again, comically easily. Yeah. So nothing's, se- I mean, I, I, I'm finding myself kind of shocked at how vituperative I am about this episode. But it's just—it's kind of insultingly
1: lazy. And I guess I get—I wanted them to make some kind of agreement with the Kazon again at the end of the episode when they were all in the conference with the uh, people that they destroyed. At, you know, at the end of the day, Janeway warns them, and they have that at least that tiny moment. And I thought that again, this is this is a Starfleet, this is a Federation ship. They're gonna try to at least come to some understanding with the Kazon, and I think that would have been powerful. I mean, I feel like this... If they wanted this show to be a picaresque where they're going through and, you know, we're in Kazon territory for a while, then we're in Borg territory, then we're dealing with this, then we're dealing with... You know, if the big bad is changing every season, every couple seasons, that's okay, but I don't know. I guess I wish that this... I. I know part of the point is that they can't do much. They are just one ship, but wouldn't it be nice if they were trying to leave the place a little better than they found it and managed to do so at once in a while?
0: Right. Like is, are we supposed to think that the moral of the show of Star Trek Voyager is that cut off from the resources of the Federation, Starfleet officers are fuck ups and just mess things up. I mean, that's, Okay, sure. I'm with you. You want to make that television show? But the show, show doesn't it. even
1: have that much of a point. Again, it's not like it's it does it every so often. It touches on something that deals with that, but it's not willing to commit and say that. You know, again, Jane. Uh, th- 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 there is the possibility Jane way might be just a minor captain who is in an extraordinary situation and is holding yeah. her own. And you know, but the show isn't willing itself to broach that possibility. Because that would yeah. be an interesting character, somebody who is in way over her head but has to deal with it because it really doesn't matter what she's capable of. These hundred people depend on her to get them home, and she has to do it because she's Starfleet. Like, that's an interesting character.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, I, I mean, I think that, that I want to talk some more about that. But I think the last thing I'll say about the sort of you know meta setting of Star Trek Voyager is that the the it's – very structure is both
1: Mm.
0: promising and alarming because Star Trek, the next generation or Star Trek, deep space nine could not really get away with this. Like the Ferengi were a misfire, but the Ferengi never disappeared. They had to figure out a way to fix the Ferengi. (sighs) They don't have to figure out a way to fix the Kazon or make the Kazon interesting because they have this release valve, which is we are now out of their space. Um, And to me, it speaks to the fact that the show is never going to be uh, striving for something more than it is, because if something doesn't immediately work, they can just go, well, you know what, we're out of their space now, so it doesn't matter anymore, and fly off into another part of the galaxy. That is just uh, astonishingly worrying to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're trying to have their... I, I, I always find it... What I always find the most amusing is how... Neelix is always finding plant and food stuff that he knows all of the properties of, right? Oh, these are Grablaxian eggs, and, you know, they're delicious, and this is how you cook them. Like, how far has Neelix gone in his travels? And, you know, has he really got—you know, and because if Neelix is familiar with this area, then Voyager is still kind of in the same neighborhood, isn't it? Like—
0: yeah, like how far have they actually gone? It seems very yeah. convenient to me. Like, they, I mean, they say they're seventy. I just did the math, right? So, like, they're seventy thousand light years from from the Federation, mm-hmm. and it's going to take them seventy five years to cross that distance. We are now two years out from when they got to the Delta Quadrant, so 2000s. they have gone. Like, if they had been traveling consistently, they have they will have gone a little under two thousand light years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty big distance and even let's say for sake of argument they've been fucking up a lot as they have been and they've only gone half that distance there's still a a good year out at like warp nine from where they started so you're right like why does Neelix still know all this stuff
1: even assuming that Neelix yes has spent 20 years and took a very wide circle and you know this is the western limit of where he went and and he was at the eastern limit when they met him uh yeah, eventually, Neelix is going to get to a point where he's just never been places, and how you know, and certainly, I don't be, I, I don't mean that he can't learn how to cook new things, but he's gonna, again, his local knowledge of the, uh, uh, uh of the world is going to be less and less every day.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about Suter then, because I, I, I think that Suter is the, the only part of this episode that I actually find interesting and satisfying and I'm not happy he's dead, yeah. but the character the, the, you know, his his story in this episode is, and he was only in the show what, twice before this? Yeah, this is his um, third episode I believe. Is rooted in really strong character work in a really strong performance that says a lot about Suter, says a lot about Tuvok, and says a lot about the Doctor, and it ends tragically, but It's interesting to watch and it actually has something to say about the nature of morality and the nature of, of, you know, what violence and murder do to people.
1: And even how – it's interesting that even on a Federation ship where uh, everybody believes in everybody's dignity and stuff – and, I mean, the Doctor is, you know, a hologram and has a slightly different view of things. But as he says in this episode, I'm a Starfleet hologram – he views Suter as a weapon in some ways. Like I, 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 I think that ev- in a way, it's the implication that you know Suter's okay, and we're go- you know we want to rehabilitate him because who he is when he is violent is wrong, and we have to help him control. And we're very proud that he is you know, focusing his energies and getting to that point. But, you know, no, we need to fuck somebody up, so Suitor, go for it. You can take this. You totally, you've killed so many people, and killing a bunch of on is nothing. Like, that's a little fucked up, and I think, you know, Suitor recognizes that. I mean, as he seems, as he says, you know, violence isn't, he, he can't, Suitor doesn't use violence. Violence uses him. It's not, yeah. he, the entire reason suitor is a problem is because he is not able to control that
0: right and 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 i hate to keep doing this but it's like there's suitor's arc for the third season he he had to kill a bunch of kazon to 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 save the ship and get the crew back he did the right thing
1: everybody on the ship thinks of him as a hero now and Mia. maybe he even is able to walk more freely around but he did so he went beyond a, a line that he set for himself yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean i i i think that's right and and you know i guess r.i.p suitor we we hardly knew you yeah. um you could have been the garrick of door you know oh, yeah. of Liger, but instead you're dead uh <laughs> well uh i don't know that there's much to say about seska i don't really have a lot to say about seska uh i think that she was fine in this episode and i'm not that sorry she's dead
1: yeah she um I liked Seska as a villain except for the fact that I have no, I, I mean, I do know, I know why she's doing what she's doing, but I, I think her goals have become very murky. As we said originally, she betrayed Voyager because, well, we've got to get allies and we need to make the strongest. And then she gets on the ship and her position is much more precarious than she had Initially imagined, and now everything with you know this business with the baby, and she is, you know, I, 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 uh, again, it's the show having these things, but I don't think fully aware of their implications, and I don't know if Seska is again somebody who is in a situation over her head and. Uh, here are two women I've said are in over her head, and we've also talked about Jerry Taylor, and so I wonder about certain implications in our subtext. But, um, you know, <laughs> Seska as somebody who, again, think, is used to a certain—because I don't think Seska even was kind of prepared for how patriarchal the Kazon quite were. She is somebody who—
0: I mean, it's like beyond Yeah, It's almost in like some weird Margaret Atwood territory or something.
1: Yeah, like I think she's looked at things like – like her models may just be the Cardassians and the Klingons and, yes, it's tough to be a woman in either society, but Seska has gotten to a – Seska is competent and crafty and enough to be able to be in a high position and work well within that. And, of course, the Maquis uh, is shown to have some kind of parity and so – She's working under the assumption, well, I'll be able to just as quickly get into that posi- – you know, get into what position. I can have the K's on in my hand and, reali- you know, getting to the point and then actually being in the situation and, again, realizing she now just has to worry about simply surviving. That's her only way of a- – again, that I- – if they had been aware that that was the theme of Seska, I think that would be more interesting. It would be at least – give her a reason to be doing what she was doing because now it just seems like she's just kind of acting without thinking. And you don't really – a Cardassian who acts without thinking is, well, is Golducott at the end of the yeah. series. And yeah. we all know how we feel about Golducott's last few performances.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's right as well. And, and you know, frankly, I think that, that the show had done pretty much everything they could do with Cheska. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. I think that there would have been more that they could have done with Seska uh, if this had been a better show, and I'll leave it there. Um, maybe that would be guess...
1: a uh, keep Seska alive, but now she's the one who's under house arrest on Voyager, and Suter is the one who is out because he saved the ship. Yeah. That, that's where season three goes.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, maybe the last thing to say before we move on to flashback is uh, I just want to say that uh, Chakotay gets the opportunity to make some sort of meta-commentary joke on his own generic uh, Native Americanness, and I just have to say, uh, show are you fucking with me? What
1: was th- with <laughs> what was with Tuvok's line? You may think the savage is noble, but he just wants to kill. Like what was that line? That was a little fucked up. It
0: was incomprehensible. <laughs> I don't know. I, I look. Do, are you asking me to, to like defend this episode? And it was it's- just like
1: this. Like we saved the one child who you know, and that made everybody for like, oh god. It, it, it. It was fine. Again, as as an hour of action-adventure TV, it was a fine hour of action-adventure TV.
0: All right, well, uh, let's move on to flashback, but before we do that, I just want to take this opportunity to remind uh, you, the loyal listeners of Trek About, that Trek About is listener-supported. If you like what we do, please go to com slash Show and give us a little bit of your hard-earned money, $1, $2, $3, hey, even $5 a month, Anything you can contribute is very much appreciated. And frankly, we'll, we'll let us continue to make the, the great podcast that you have come to love week in week out. Once again, go to patreon.com slash about show. Now let's talk about flashback, which is an episode with some problems.
1: I think the scene, which nailed it to me is when Janeway and Tuvok are talking and they're talking about, you know, the era of Kirk and, how now everything is safe, and it was the frontier, you know, things were different, and imagine how you know, Kirk must have felt in those days. They're talking so nostalgically about the place that they're fucking in right now. Like, they are not in the nice, safe Alpha Quadrant. They do not have the Federation resources all around them. They are in a place with the hostile... Factions all around them, and they don't know anybody, and their ship can destroy. They are in the Federation and TOS days. I mean, this is a beautiful opportunity to have this very on-the-nose speech about how, you know, just as Kirk ha- met all the Klingons all those time, well, we've met the Kazon, and gee, we've got to make our own rules out here, and somehow, but... You know, Kirk at the end of the day was decisive and went against the rules, but he still had his principles and so do we. And that would have been a way to begin the third season. And they don't recognize any of that. The, I mean, that's a speech that like Captain Picard could have made.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. I am I am incredibly happy that you picked that up on that. Although I, I should yeah. not be surprised yeah. at all. Um, that that you picked up on that because you 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 know I think you understand Star Trek very well and you really? always have and and I think that 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 is fundamentally what is so upsetting about this episode is that flashback to me is the show pretty much declaring that it is going to be entirely paint by numbers unambitious mm-hmm. pablum frankly and to to me what really <laughs> you know what what really sticks out to me is we we're talking a lot about behind the scenes stuff this week, you know, I apologize, I guess. Maybe I'm cranky, I don't know, but I think that
1: well, given the nature like, of this episode, I think some behind the scenes stuff is not inappropriate, but anyway.
0: Yes. And and you know, we will say good th- we didn't really have anything good to say about Basics part 2. We have I have some good things to say about flashback. Yeah. Maybe you don't, but I I think that w- the the best way to to talk about my feelings about Flashback is to compare and contrast The 30th anniversary episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager writing staffs both knew that Paramount wanted 30th episode 30th anniversary episodes of Star Trek. Right. And they they got some time to do it. I think that Voyager perhaps got a little less time to do it because this was actually filmed towards the end of the second season and Trials and Tribulations was filmed as part of DS9's fifth season, I believe. So they add a little bit more time to think about and write it and really come up with a good idea. So, you know, that's that's the level right there. I'm being fair to both shows. But I think that what gets me about this episode is that it already existed in large form. This was a random generic Tuvok episode Mm. about him having a a, 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 you know a, a memory that he was repressing that turned out to be a virus. And when Brown and Braga got the the memo from Paramount, the Paramount offices, that they wanted the 30th anniversary episode of Star Trek, he decided to slot this into this episode instead. And to me, that fundamentally speaks to Voyager's modus operandi, which apparently is, don't do any more work than is necessary.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, especially (laughs) when you consider that the DS9 episode was a lot of work, just from a technical perspective, I mean, with the splicing of the of of the footage from the the original episode i mean and
0: and i yeah and i and i want to make it clear that that i am only speaking about the the writing of this episode i am not speaking about the the technical staff of this episode because they did a tremendous job recreating the the bridge of the excelsior yeah
1: um but but it just trials and tribulations was a fucking fun episode at the very it was unabashedly fan servicey it had a lot to joke about the time travel elements and we got we got to see that you get to see the the new cast in the old uniforms and that's a visual gimmick but it's a funny one and they get to y- 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 them in the trivial pit and trying to find the bomb i mean it's, it's it's just a fun episode that takes one of the most beloved episodes of the original series and Basically says, we love the hell out of this series. This is, this very episode, mate, is one of the reasons many of us got into this in the first place when we first saw this. Some of us have been working on it since then, you know. Either way, we have a great love for and respect for this franchise, and we can have fun with it because of how much we love and respect it. I don't get the sense that anybody involved in this episode loves Star Trek very much.
0: I don't get the sense that anyone involved in this episode, or at least the writing of it, knows what Star Trek is. I mean, it's just fundamentally baffling to me that the show would be this lazy to appropriate a random episode of the show that Brian and Braga had, you know, working, he was working on. Uh, And and turn it into the 30th anniversary episode in such a perfunctory and lazy way. I mean, in in other words, sorry.
1: So it uh, so it obviously then just wasn't Captain Sulu. It was Captain Johansson. And then they just swapped him out kind of a thing then.
0: I, I I don't even know. I mean, I think that the memory might have been entirely different. I mean, I, I think that it could have been, like, a journey through Tuvok's youth yeah. or something. Who the hell knows? And then, they, you know, he decided to make it this instead. I think there's a way to make this work. I just think that you're right. Like, fundamentally speaking, I don't get a sense that anybody on the writing staff of Star Trek Voyager is super interested or invested in Star Trek, and that's fine. Like, I think that the... the Trials and Tribulation episode of DS9 worked because DS9 is a is a dark but also funny and fun show with a lot of really good characters and it has right it has writers on its staff that love Star Trek and have something to say about it. And I think that what you're seeing in Basics Part 2 and in Flashback is that for the people working on Star Trek Voyager, this is a job. Mm. And they don't necessarily love Star Trek. They don't necessarily have anything they want to say about Star Trek. And, again, I don't necessarily think that's a problem. Star Trek 2009 was made by someone, J.J. Abrams, who, while he said he was a Star Trek fan, which, you know, whatever, uh, how much you believe him, I will leave as an exercise to the listener, (laughs) uh, it was still a pretty good movie. Yeah. and, And had some good things about it. I don't well, especially like if flashback. you consider
1: that was uh JJ Abrams wanting to make Star Wars like yes he's going to put a hell of a lot of effort into it. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. But he, he and, is a good blockbuster filmmaker and yeah.
0: And and to me it's just like does Brian Braga like Star Trek? I don't know. And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I just don't think he's ambitious enough to pull something like this off. Yeah. And I, I, but even, like, small details that just don't make any sense. Because, for example, in an episode like Alliances, right, which was the episode with the trade where mm-hmm. they decided to try and make an alliance with the Kazon and it all turned to shit, right? Tuvok had said in that episode that he compared it to the Kitamura Accords that he spoke out against at the time it was happening. So now we have an episode half a season later where Tuvok was revealed to be a, like, yeah. frankly like baby ensign (laughs) who didn't even want to be in starfleet like yeah who's like a who's gonna listen to tuvok about any of this like when he said he spoke out did he mean that he was talking in the mess hall about it like what
1: i i i I I it honestly seemed like well who's the only one on the cast who would have actually interacted with any of them. Well, Tuvok's the only one who's old enough. Shit. We we've we haven't established that he was working for the for Starfleet at that young. Okay, well, we'll tell him that he was had a secret backstory and you know, he left Starfleet and then he came back to Starfleet and all of that, and and yeah, it seems like I mean, thank God somebody pointed out that plot hole to them, but their way of getting out of it was very convoluted. I mean, the whole time cop part of Starfleet that's in Trials and Tribulations <laughs> is – it's ridiculous, but the show knows it's ridiculous, and it, again, it uses that as a way to make some jokes that fans have been making about the time travel in the franchise since its beginning, and it is a little bit a MacGuffin in that way. They, you know, they they traveled back in time to the, to the Trials and Tribbles days just because you know, there was an anomaly and now we're in this episode. Um, the device to get into the flashbacks in this episode is both extremely important and they spend a lot of ink on it and both, like, completely perfunctory in that they don't care. At the end, they're just, oh, it was a virus. Oh, okay. The end.
0: Yeah, like, why Why couldn't this had, like, okay, like, it's, I don't know, it's the 220th anniversary. I don't know, it's Federation yeah. Day. And oh god i'm fixing the episode but it's just like it's so bad like it's you know it's it's federation day they're all sitting in the mess hall and tuvok is like i've got a story for you guys and then it goes into the story of flashback like why do you need this that's a perfect thing they're all
1: talking about going back home for federation day and what would we have done and you get a flashback each of them gets to have one scene back home and they talk about how the Federation was great because of X, Y, and Z. And now we're there. But again, we have to keep those values alive. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and maybe that would have been a horrible episode too. But at least they would like at least like it would have been trying something yeah. different. And to me, I just keep coming back to the idea that Brandon Braga was like, "Well, I got to make this fucking thirtieth anniversary episode of Star Trek. I've already got this stupid half-ass plot about some medical techno babble with like a repressed memory virus yeah. that, frankly, I don't give a shit about. So I'm just gonna throw it in there." And it's like, I it just, it just, I'm so, I'm just like, I mean, we, it, 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 it's breaking my heart. I'm like, this is so half-assed on such a fundamental level that I'm finding it just shock well
1: you know because i mean we're thinking about our own jobs right at this moment i think about stuff that i've cooked where it's just like all right i just gotta fucking get this ready and get this out there and this is not the most delicious thing i've ever made but it's done you've had reports you've had to do at work like yeah maybe i'm not being as careful as i would be if i had a little more time to do this or you know but i have a headache and it's due in an hour so i'm just gonna do the best I can and hope it's fine. Like, everybody does that in their jobs, and that's fine for the most part, except, I don't know, this feels important, right? Like, this is something something that a lot of people love, and this also, again, this isn't just any old episode. It's not—this, by virtue of the episode that it is, the fact that it is the 30th anniversary episode— and they want to do something special. By virtue of that, it's not one of the random 26 that can be a filler episode. This is something that was important. Again, DS9 stepped up to that. Again, had a little more time to prepare for it, perhaps, but said, this is coming up, let's do something really special, let's do something, because the people who are watching DS9, especially at that point, fucking love Star Trek. This is... Their life. This is their favorite thing. And we, you know, we want to, in a way, it's that, again, it's an unabashed fan service episode. But I think by, by, if you are at the point where you are watching season five of ds 9 fan service feels like a thanks for your loyalty in a way. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 yeah. it, it's nice. This is, in a way, kind of a party. This doesn't feel like a party.
0: No, it feels like a funeral <laughs> dirge. And and I guess maybe that's the difference between the two shows. I don't know. But, I mean, to your point, is is anyone nostalgic for the era of Star Trek Six? Yeah, I mean, that was the like, other. Like, like they, do a, <laughs> they do a very good job. Like, I'm glad Sulu's in it. I think George Takei does a fine job of reenacting scenes. He did better five years ago. I i am being really dicky today. I apologize to everyone. Uh, I think that, you know, Janice Rand, Grace Lee Whitney does a fine job. I'm happy to see her again. I do think that there is a little bit of nice symmetry in that Sulu and, and Rand, too, were like the only two characters that weren't in Trials and Tribulations yeah. because they weren't in the original episode. And so it's like, okay, that's fine. I like all that. I think it's well done. I think that technically it's well done and it all fits together fine. But just on a fundamental level, what is this a celebration of? Like, is this a celebration of the fact that George Takei was still trying to get a Captain Sulu television show made at this point? I I, I don't know. And there's a, there's a disturbing lack of attention to detail in this episode that, that alarms me. I mean, that is what I keep, you know, that's what I just keep coming back to. Like, Say whatever you want about Star Trek Voyager, but there is a lack of care that is starting to become evident as we talk more and more about this show that worries me to a large degree. Because it indicates to me that the people that are making the show are looking at it as a job. And I know that, like you said, when I have a job that I don't necessarily care about, when you have a job that you don't necessarily care about, we do the job. But we may not do it to the best of our ability. And I don't know that I want – like you're telling me that you could not find uh, anybody yeah. out there to write on Star Trek Voyager that would be so eager huh? to take over a Star Trek show and put their stamp on it?
1: I mean I talk, I, I want to talk about Rand for a minute though because I think, again, you, you talk about it an inconsistency. There is a through line here that the episode doesn't even realize exists with Rand. Um, She's kind of a dick to Tuvok when she's talking. Oh, basically, she's accusing him of sucking up with the tea and stuff like that. Oh, you're trying to. And she says something very telling, which is that, you know, it took me years just to make Ensign, and, you know, you're going to be. She's very bitter about the fact that it took her a very long time to progress in her career and she sees Tuvok just flying through the ranks and sucking up and stuff like that and I mean contrast this to Janeway talking to Amelia Earhart about how you know now in Janeway's day the opportunities for women in Starfleet were so much more I mean this is a beautiful opportunity to make this about this yes you know people like Janice Rand, what you know, even as enlightened as they thought they were in Kirk's day, there were still certain institutionalized sexism that, by Janeway's day, they realized and things got better. And somebody like you know, again, if Rand were in Janeway's time, she might have been captain as as at the same age that Janeway is, and another opportunity for us to say, well, we're in the we're in the frontier here, but you know, things are even better and have improved since Kirk's day. That's yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, this is. It's not interested in saying anything about Star Trek, whether it is a salient point of uh, criticism such as that, or whether it's a fun joke. Just as you know, I'm gonna we're gonna show uh, Dax in a old school uniform because they're funny uniforms.
0: Yeah, I I think so, and 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 you know I, I want to go back to to how you started out this conversation because to to me that does speak to f- frankly the 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 lack of clarity surrounding what this show is or could be because you're right like Brandon and Braga tries to. He's he's trying to play the notes and not the music. He is writing a very stirring speech about how Janeway is is envious of of you know all of the captains of Captain Kirk's era. You know the Alpha Quadrant was largely unexplored. All of the technology was much more rudimentary than they were used to. You know they were on the verge of war with the Klingons and the Romulans. It was much more dangerous, much more exciting. Now part of that is just nostalgia, of course. But you're right. Like that is where they are right now, and there is no not a one uh, indication that she is aware of that that she is aware that she is not in the alpha quadrant right now at starfleet headquarters reminiscing over a cup of hot tea with an
1: admiral. that she was not last week marooned on a planet with no technology you want to talk about rudimentary technology right I mean, they, and I, they were and fighting with that... bows a few days ago
0: yeah, and I think that's what it really comes down to for me is like this could have been the episode where the show kind of woke in, woke up to the idea that this show needs to be about something, and it needs to be about okay, what are you know, you know we've advanced so far? What are the limits of the Prime Directive now? Yeah. What are the limits of the twenty fourth century Starfleet? Uh, we are in a situation that is so just grossly unequipped. Yeah. To, to deal with this and Tuvok is undergoing these, these flashbacks to this time, which was a bit different. Uh, well, I don't know how different it was because, you know, I mean, Tuvok is, or, or Sulu is drinking out of bone China on the bridge, <laughs> but that's a side issue um, that, that it, it just doesn't, but it does like the, the, the era that it's flashing back to doesn't really mesh up with what they're doing or what they're talking about. And, and it's, while it's not like again, it's nice to see Sulu again. It's nice to see Rand again. I, I don't, I don't get what I get. This is a celebration of why this is the 30th anniversary episode of Star Trek Voyager.
1: And here's something I'm thinking of as well. What was the major theme about Star Trek Six? Things are changing, right? The, the 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 one of the defining things of the TOS era was that we and the Klingon Empire are at war, and you know maybe active hostilities have stopped, but we are not friends at all. And Star Trek Six is the moment that is going to ultimately lead to the Klingon Empire and the Federation having having an extraordinary. Cl- Narrowly close, if complex relationship. This is the moment that everything changes, and that the Alpha Quadrant starts to become that more civilized, more charted place. And it, the the entire movie is about Kirk. You know, is is our brand of diplomacy? Are are we wor- are we worth it anymore? With things changing li- so much and so strongly, this isn't a status quo episode. This movie and. Again, they don't realize that about it. They don't even know what the theme of the thing they're cannibalizing is in this.
0: Yeah, because and I think I think you're right. And I think fundamentally what it really comes down to is that, you know, this episode is at war with itself. You know, if this had just been a random yeah. Tuvok episode, I think I would have liked it a lot better because, you know, speaking of something that I like about the episode, I I like Tuvok's you know, revelation of his backstory yeah. here. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about the Janeway and Tuvok relationship. I I, I, my general feeling about it is that it's very important to the two characters Mm -hmm. because they keep telling us it's very important to the two characters. I don't see a lot of evidence for it on screen, but yeah, you you take what you can get. But I think that. Tuvok's revelation that his parents pushed him into going to Starfleet Academy—he did not want to go to Starfleet Academy. I think the revelation that he was originally a science officer, yeah. and when he came back to Starfleet fifty years later, he was a tactical officer. That's where his uh, abilities and, and talents and interests were were lying. Uh, and and I, he didn't I think that
1: is seems important to me. We it, right, did we know and, that I don't remember, but you know, it, it, it's. It's important to my understanding of Tuvok as somebody who, again, has emotions, doesn't exactly express or show them, but still feels them very strongly. Again, in that entire scene when he's talking, yes, it was logical that you know I would go back to, you can tell that he is embarrassed at the follies of his youth and not showing yeah. it, but that also that Janeway knows exactly what he's saying.
0: Yeah. And I, well, and I think there's, there's two, two interesting things going on there with that uh, is that number one, of course, um, you know, for the most part, Vulcans are not seen as insecure or striving mm. uh, or, or people that need to, to do work on themselves. And that is not Tuvok. He always seems a little incomplete. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting direction for that character to go. I think the other thing that and and I think that this is a rare example of this episode and Star Trek Voyager in general being a little bit smarter than the than the audience or maybe I'm giving it too much credit. I don't know. You can tell me is that, you know, Tuvok's entire backstory is extremely the opposite of what Spock's backstory was that that, you know, here's an example of 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 a man who his parents wanted to go to Starfleet Academy. Look how. Uh, you know, look how much that had changed in just the, you know, let's yeah. say 30 years that Spock started in Starfleet Academy. I think that the, you know, you could make, the, I, I mean, my opinion of that is that the episode is trying to say that that was partially due to Spock, mm. that that a character so important to the franchise is also important to the world of the Federation, of the, you know, quote unquote, the real world of the Federation, because now he is so successful, he is so well-respected yeah. amongst other Vulcans that Vulcan parents want their children to go to Starfleet Academy, which was unheard of. Yeah, uh, you know, thirty or forty years ago. Spock's
1: prominence makes it acceptable, and it's not—it's not selling yourself out or 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 an easy path to go into Starfleet. You still can achieve greatness. Yeah, it's not—you're not the family disappointment if you run off to Starfleet anymore.
0: Right. Right. <sighs> I I mean, I think that, that, that maybe the last thing to say is, you know, we've been very hard on Voyager <laughs> uh, th- this episode and, you know, maybe some people will be upset at that. Maybe some people will be like, yes, finally, they're letting loose on Voyager. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm just a little frustrated because these could have been better. Yeah. And these I don't have think this sh- should have been better. And I don't think the show cares mm. that they're not better. And that, to me, more than anything else, worries me for the future. You know, I have been uh, pretty like I think I think our criticism of Voyager so far has been pretty fair, and I think that our our criticism of these episodes are pretty fair because. The, grading it on a curve, sure. Well, but I think that at this point in the show's run, it should have a better idea of what it's trying to do. And these two episodes, to me, indicate that
1: it does not. Well, let me ask you this, because I know Trials and Tribulations is pretty loved for what it is. And how is this episode received?
0: I think fine. But I mean, does anybody talk about it now?
1: Huh. No. Yeah, it's like, it's not going to make a you know if you put a best best 10 episodes of voyager well i guess it wouldn't make the top 10 of ds9 because there are so many fantastic episodes that bump it off but uh i
0: right i mean like like yeah. trials and tribulations felt like an important episode it yeah. felt like an event episode it felt like a different episode this feels like a voyager episode and
1: that's not enough it's like going to applebees for your birthday
0: I think that's very true. That's a good good way to put it, I think. Uh, I also would just like to say that the uh, the one thing I do like about the episode, or one of the things I like about the episode, is that apparently Neelix is trying to poison Tuvok with acidity, so that's good.
1: Huh. Uh, I like that Neelix likes locally sourced food and is one of those people who knows the story of uh, you know, where, where where everything comes from, so...
0: Yes, Neelix is a hipster chef before hipster chefs were a thing.
1: I mean, I work at an organic grocery, so uh, so I I like Neelix. (laughs) I guess my last question is, why do they have the Excelsior logs available? I mean, what what, what possible use does it mean to have apparently... uh, If they have the Excelsior logs, they must have every ship log that has ever been, right? Like... Well,
0: it looks like they have text versions of the logs. That what's, wouldn't be a lot of data. But still, what's the so, point
1: of it? I mean, I, I, I guess if they need to... the
0: the Yeah, the point is if an episode like Flashback yes, exists yes, yes. and then they need <laughs> to have the logs.
1: Again, it's not like a case, like, for example, I'm thinking to uh, the Naked Now, oh God, where they do look up the Enterprise logs from there, but the implication is that that's centrally stored. They have access to that in the Alpha Quadrant. It
0: Okay, I I got you here. Here, Here's here's why. This is my fan theory. Yes, I
1: love fan theory. Uh,
0: That uh, they don't have the logs of every single Starfleet vessel that has ever been available as, you know... Yeah. available to every single ship in the fleet but they do keep all of the logs available for all of the like tos crew because they're like the you know er examples of starfleet yeah. they're the most famous people in starfleet they are the most important and so you know wherever kirk served wherever spock served wherever sulu served wherever Chekov served yeah. before, uh, scotty did i forget anybody D- dr mccoy uh, they just have them available because there are many lessons there to be learned. What I'm saying is it's that like they these logs their, yeah. are like Starfleet's Bible.
1: Okay, or textbook, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, putting more thought and care into it than uh, they did in this episode.
0: Yep, that is true. Well, uh, the show will be going on haitest because I'll be writing for season two of Star Trek Discovery. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on Basics Part 2 or Flashback, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at trekaboutshow.com. As we said earlier, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. If you would like to give us a little bit of financial support, we would very much appreciate it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on all those social media platforms. Trekaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes slash Apple Podcasts review four truck about it's been a while since we've gotten one and believe it or not as stupid as it sounds it still is a very important way for podcasts to get out there so if you're enjoying the show and have not left us a review please go there and do that and also check out our other podcast tuning in we are talking about the x-files episodes soft light in our town this week all right. Next week, we are continuing our journey into the third season of Star Trek Voyager. There are less than five seasons of Star Trek Voyager to go. Well, thank God. And then we can get point.
1: to Enterprise.
0: Yes. Then we can get to <laughs> Enterprise, which I think is a, I think it's a, both a better and a worse show <laughs> than, than Voyager. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Shoot and The Swarm.